0: Engaging Leader, episode 104, Rookie Smarts, Why Learning Beats Knowing, featuring Liz Wiseman. leadership inspires trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Is it possible to be at your best even when you are underqualified or doing something for the first time? And after decades of experience, can you keep your skills from becoming obsolete and irrelevant and recapture the curiosity and fearlessness of youth to take on new challenges? Well, with the right mindset, you can. For today's knowledge workers in this rapidly changing business environment, constant learning is more valuable than mastery. Liz Wiseman's new book, Rookie Smarts, provides a guide for professionals seeking personal renewal, as well as for all leaders who need to ensure that their workforce remains vital and competitive. Liz Wiseman teaches leadership to executives around the world. She is the author of Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter, as well as The Multiplier Effect, Tapping the Genius Inside Our Schools. And her new book is Rookie Smarts, Why Learning Beats Knowing in the New Game of Work. Liz conducts research in the fields of leadership and learning and writes for Harvard Business Review and other journals. Previously, she was an executive at Oracle Corporation, where she worked over the course of 17 years as the vice president of Oracle University and as the global leader for human resource development. Liz Wiseman, we're very happy to have you join us on Engaging Leader.
1: Well, Jesse, thanks for having me on your program.
0: Liz, you and your research team spent two years investigating how rookies approach work differently than veterans. What surprises did you find about how they perform?
1: Well, you know, we were really surprised to find that we are so often at our best when we're doing something for the very first time, that actually being inexperienced is an advantage. And it's particularly an advantage we found in the knowledge arena. You know, in in broad industries, people with experience tend to outperform people without experience by a, It's actually by a very small margin. But when we look at the knowledge industries, where you know places where companies compete on intellectual property, where information is kind of the core asset, we find that people without experience at something tend to do better. That they outperform their experienced peers, particularly when the work is innovative in nature, and when speed matters. It, it was just so shocking to me to see that when we don't really know what we're doing, when we have this steep learning curve to climb up, we're actually faster at delivering. Hmm. That was interesting.
0: How do you actually define rookie? Is that a matter of age?
1: You know, it isn't. Well, you know, the way that we defined rookie in the research is a rookie is someone who is new to something important and hard. So they're tackling, you know, a hard, challenging piece of work, and they're doing it for the very first time, whether they're 22 years old and right out of college, or 62 years old, and being asked to do something they've never known how to do. You know, for example, for me, you know, I wrote my first book, Multipliers. I'm in my I think mid 40s at the time. I'm an experienced professional, but I'm an absolute rookie author. When I wrote that book, I hadn't written anything longer than an email. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> you know, a Christmas letter. And you know, I didn't I didn't advertise that to HarperCollins at the time we signed the contract. <laughs> but I was a rookie at this. Just, you know, new to something important and hard and we find that when we're new to something, whether we're 22 or 62 or, you know, mid-40s as it was in this case, it forces us into this kind of a hyper learning mode. It's almost like it puts us in this desperate quest for learning. Mm. And the, the more important, the harder the task and the more visible it is. Like for me, in the case of writing a book, you know, signing a contract, kind of putting yourself out there of like, hey, I'm going to do this. It forces you, because you can't draw on what you know, because you just don't know enough. It forces you to go into this kind of humble, hungry hunting process, hunting for knowledge. And we find that people are learning so fast that they tend to be cycling so fast that they perform at their very best and often out for performing people with experience. Yeah, so it's not about a, an age. It's about a state of mind, really. hmm That gets provoked when we're new to something.
0: So, you could be, I guess, in rookie mode in one aspect of your work and and veteran mode in another.
1: Absolutely. And that's, I think that's really a fairly ideal situation. In fact, when I cut the data looking at how experienced people versus inexperienced people perform, what I found is the highest performing rookies were experienced executives, you know, seasoned professionals who'd been moved from one domain and put into another domain. So they're drawing upon all of their wisdom of experience, their leadership skills, their sort of political savvy, their know-how, but then they're dropped into an arena where they don't know what they're doing and it tends to prompt this rookie mode. They get kind of the best of both worlds, which is what you know, I call the perpetual rookie, the, the person who despite years of experience can maintain their rookie smart, Hmm. this way of working um, that's natural to us when we're new to something important and hard.
0: So I guess you see that in certain organizations where there may be a seasoned executive. I mean, just thinking back, like when you were at Oracle, let's say at the time you were the, the VP of human resource development. And if you suddenly get shifted over to the VP of IT, let's say a very different kind of field, suddenly you're a rookie in that field.
1: Absolutely. And, and, you know, uh, my experience at Oracle, I was there for 17 years. It, it was a thrilling place to work because I was truly a perpetual rookie and they didn't have to move me into wildly different areas. It's that the company was growing fast and I just kept, I, you know, I was fed this steady diet of big challenges, all at least a size or two too big for me. And, you know, there, there was a joke you know, um, my manager, uh, my VP, used to say, kind of early on in my career, you know, he would introduce me as, "This is Liz. She she runs Oracle University." And you know, often people do this double take because it seemed like a pretty grown up job for someone, <laughs> you know, who wasn't really a full grown up at that point. And, <laughs> you know, and he'd say, "Well, she's not particularly well qualified, but you know, she's, she's <laughs> knocking it out of the park." And and so was said, "Well, Bob, who wants a job they're qualified for? I mean, because if you're qualified for something," What's there to learn? Mm. And, you know, when you're in a high growth economy or industry or company, that kind of continuing to live and work on this this perpetual learning curve can come naturally. But often when that growth settles in, companies have to find ways to grow their talent, not always through sort of like vertical promotion, but how do you keep people fresh? We actually found, Jesse, that uh, we asked, oh, about a thousand people. In this survey, we asked them, How challenged are you in your current work? And how satisfied are you? Among a number of questions we asked. And what we found was this near perfect linear correlation between the two, meaning that as our challenge level goes up, so does our satisfaction. And as our challenge level goes down, as we get to the point where we actually know how to do our job, you know, the very point where you would think that that would feel good, right? You know, like, Mm -hmm. okay, I know what I'm doing. I'm competent. You know, I have mastery over this. That's not where happiness comes from. That's not where job satisfaction comes from. Satisfaction comes in the challenge and in in the process of mastering. Um, We found that not only are people more satisfied when they're doing something challenged, we found that people need challenge Quite frequently, on average, people said, you know, I asked um, in this survey, after being given one challenge, how long does it take to A, figure it out, B, you know, have to know if you're doing the right things, if, you know, the, the, your actions are having impact, C, be ready for the next challenge, D, be ready for the next job, and lastly, you know, begin to feel stale in their job. And I wasn't surprised that people begin to feel stale at about 24 months. You know, about two years of doing the same thing, you're like, I'm burnt.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you're sort of past your sell-by date <laughs> at this point. And, you know, you feel it. You kind of start to stink, so to speak. People start to say they're ready for a new job at about 12 months, mm-hmm. which made some sense. I was really surprised to learn that people, on average, are ready for the next challenge at about three months, Wow meaning like, give me something hard to do, yeah, I'm ready for it.
0: you know it seems like the feeling is mutual too, in terms of it's not just the rookies' sense of enjoying enjoying work and being satisfied, but what uh, the coworkers feel too. I'm thinking back to the story you share in the book you'd been in your role at Oracle for I think a couple of years as the head of Oracle University, and your boss. Probably the same guy who you just got done saying used to introduce you is not being very expert in this area. You
1: can, you can say it, Jesse. Me not being qualified.
0: Qualified. There you
1: go. <laughs> <laughs> you can just call it like it is.
0: But he he actually uh, brought someone into re- was interviewing somebody to replace you.
1: He was. It was actually a different a different manager. And uh, you know, I had been I was given this task of you know go build Oracle University when I was I think on on the border between 24 and 25 years old. But I had really no clue what I was doing, but my team and I because we didn't know what we we're doing, we you know, we listened to our stakeholders. I went out and talked to every head of the product division, every, you know, head of a sales or a consulting unit trying to understand their business and their challenge and you know, I asked all the naive questions. Like, you know, what will break the business if we don't get it right as we build this Training function, and you know, we, we, we approach things in fairly novel ways, and we kept it very simple because, really, honestly, we didn't know how to complexify it at this <laughs> point. You know, it's like we didn't know how to do anything other than to keep it simple. And you know, about a year into that, um, they say, Okay, we now need you to make that work in 120 countries that we're doing business in. So now I'm trying to figure out how to do this globally and I don't even have a passport. <laughs> you know, when they ask me to do this, so I run out and I get a passport and we start figuring it out. And about two years into the process, my boss, who was the head of HR at the time, he came in and he sat down. I remember it so vividly, this is a number of years ago, but he sat down and he said, Liz, you know, the company's growing really fast. And, you know, we we need an experienced leader for the university. Now Jesse, this this is a job I love.
2: Mm.
1: You know, I am just having the time of my life because I'm learning so much every single day is kind of a new challenge and a new problem. And he tells me that the next day they've got a candidate, um, a guy named Jay, who's coming in to interview. He's going to talk to me, and then he's going to go interview with all the executives. And he's going to come interview for my job, (laughs) you know, this job that I love. (laughs) And, you know, I'm just horribly disappointed, but at the same time, I could see the wisdom in this. It made Mm. surely, yeah, I I get it. I get it. Um, This seems like kind of a gray hair job. (laughs) And, you know, the next day, they bring in this candidate who looks like you would expect an experienced corporate education person to look like. And, you know, he's out interviewing, and I'm wondering, you know, should I stay or should I go? And, you know, the next day, my boss, he came back in, and, you know, he with this absolute grace that I still remember and I so deeply appreciate, you know, to this day, he sat down. He said, Liz, we've decided not to hire Jay. In fact, we've decided not to hire anyone else for this job. Uh, we'd like you to continue. You know, I had just been demoted. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the two days earlier, and now I—I I, I don't I wasn't promoted. I guess I was sort of—I <laughs> was remoted. Yeah, remoted. <laughs> and and I'm like, whoa, whoa! Kind of thought I was fired, and you know, trying to decide if I should leave the company, and and they're asking me to stay. And and what was really this this grace that he had is he said, Liz, I was wrong. I misjudged. He said, I went out. He just assumed that the job needed an experienced person in it. It just made sense. But when he went out and tried to call the feedback from the executives, they said, listener team are doing a great job. You know, they're, 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 they're getting done exactly what we need done. Now, we, we weren't putting together some world-class corporate university that would have been featured at some learning conference. Oh, absolutely not. But were we getting the job done that the executives needed? Absolutely. Because see, we didn't know how to build a world-class university, but we knew how to listen and we knew how to learn and take action fast. We were really kind of meeting the exact business requirements. And, and so the executives were like, no, 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 no. We want this person and this team to stay intact. We need them. And it was actually my inexperience that allowed me to do what needed to be done. Like I think if Oracle hired me today, I just might mess it up Mm. (laughs) (laughs) because I would come in thinking I knew how to do it. And, and Jesse, I think this probably, it brings me to, I think, one of the fundamental things that I've learned studying how we work with experience and how we work without experience. And it's not that experience is a problem. It's not a problem. The problem comes from the byproducts of it, you know, because experience brings, competence and knowledge and credibility and savvy. And, you know, we amass more data points that inform our intuition, like so many good things come from experience. But the byproducts tend to be hubris, you know, assuming Mm -hmm. we know, Mm -hmm. you know, coming in with a plan, our plan, without stopping to listen and to learn and to reestablish a baseline of what's important. Or, You know, if we don't fall victim to hubris, we might fall victim to just comfort and continuing to do what has worked in the past and becoming comfortable. One of my favorite poets, um, Khalil Gibran, a Lebanese poet, he said, comfort is a stealthy thing. It enters the house as a guest and then becomes host and eventually our master. Hmm. And sometimes it's that we just flatline with our knowledge. And we don't question our assumptions, we don't audit our assumptions, um, our beliefs, our approach to see is this still relevant? Because the world around us is changing really, really fast. And I think that's where experience is dangerous. It's dangerous in markets that are driven by the knowledge economy where business cycles are spinning so fast that so many professionals and leaders don't face the same problem twice. And this is often where being inexperienced is actually advantageous.
0: Well, in digging up ways in which both newer professionals as well as the more uh, savvy veterans can put some of this rookie smarts information into action, your research uncovered four distinct modes of what you call a rookie smarts mindset. And uh, I'd like to kind of talk through those and, and have you provide a tip for us to cultivate each one. The first one is that a rookie tends to be a backpacker, which is all about being unencumbered. Can you tell us more about that?
1: You know, when we're new to something, we we don't we're not weighed down by a lot of knowledge, a set of beliefs and a set of assumptions about what's right. So we're we're intellectually unencumbered, which allows us to to venture out to explore new possibilities. Very much like you know, the difference between how we, you know, the range that we can explore when we're backpacking versus when we're car camping. And so I call this the backpacker mode because by exploring new possibilities, you know, we, we innovate and we go down paths other people tend not to go down. You know, when we're experienced, we end up often burdened by the very thing that should embolden us. Sometimes we're just simply burdened by our reputation you know, wanting to protect this reputation that we work so hard, you know, as as leaders. Sometimes we're protecting this repu- the reputation of our team. Or and I think if you've worked in the corporate world and, and if you've been a leader in the corporate world, you've probably, you've certainly seen it, but you've probably fallen victim to putting your energy behind protecting your team. Whether it's protecting them from the the, the bad managers elsewhere in the other organization or protecting the resources that you worked hard obtain. And often, you know, we hold on to things and we miss opportunities to innovate where people who are kind of travel lightly Mm -hmm. can explore.
0: Hmm. So what's an example of what you call learning experiments that can foster that mindset?
1: You know, one of one of the simplest things that we can do to you know and I think one of the premises of this um, or the conclusions of my research and the premise of this book is that it's just never too late to be a rookie, and that the people who continue to thrive and stay relevant in their careers are people who continue to cultivate this rookie mindset, Um, either by cultivating the mindset or just by putting themselves in situations that are novel and new or taking jobs that are just too big for them, you know, oversized. Uh, Perhaps, you know, like my early experience, taking jobs that you're not qualified for um, one of the ways that we can cultivate this backpacker mentality is to to ask the naive questions. You know, we all know that feeling of when you go into a meeting and you just don't get it. Like it doesn't make sense. It's not logical. You know, like you might even look and say, "This is madness." Like, why are we even doing this? Like, what would happen if we didn't do it? And it's often the newcomer that comes in and can ask the, the naive questions. The questions like, "Okay." Why are we doing this? What would happen if we didn't? Um, who, who's the real customer here? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've been asked that question by people before when I was immersed in these complicated projects and someone came in and said, Liz, who's your customer? I'm like, well, this person and that person. And they're like, no, no, no. Who is really your customer? In the end, who is the person you know, who needs to be satisfied with this work? Ah, okay, well, that's different. You know, and they're questions that really... And they're not stupid or ignorant questions. They're naive questions. They're the questions that are asked with the best of intent and with um, the intent to clarify. And, And so if you're experienced and you've been doing something for a long time, you might go into a meeting and say, you know what, I'm going to take a different role in this meeting. I'm going to ask a few of the naive questions and use it to distill the essence of something and help an entire team get clear on the objectives and where they need to put their focus. That's one of the things that, that rookies tend to do really well is they help us understand what's most important.
0: Yeah. I like in the book, you phrase those as basic questions or fundamental questions. And I guess one of the concerns that pops in my head is, especially if you are the experienced person. And so you're, uh, it would be easy to sort of have a feigned intellectualism as you, you try to ask questions or, Maybe you are a true rookie, and you are worried about asking a stu- what could be perceived as stupid questions. How do you avoid either end of that spectrum?
1: You know what I found. I've I've done a lot of coaching of leaders um, over the last few years, and one of the things I've learned there's uh, there's this kind of um, it's almost like the universal solution to things. I know I, I a lot of leaders struggle like, well, well I want to do that, but I'm worried that if I do this, this will happen, or this person will think that. And what I usually say, maybe this in and of itself is a naive question. I say, well, what would happen if you just explained your intent? They said, well, I wouldn't really have the problem. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, like, well, okay, I don't want to give the project to this person because if I gave it to that person, then this person will worry that maybe they think, you know. I'm like, well, why not Just explain your intent to them. Oh, yeah, well, that will solve the problem. And I find it solves so many problems. If you are worried that you're gonna seem clueless, naive, stupid, all you have to do is explain your intent. You know? Jesse, I'm going to take a different role in this meeting. And, um, you know, I, I, I thought it might be a good time for me to just step back and kind of look at some of the fundamentals. And I'm going to ask a few of the naive questions. They may seem stupid. My intent is not to distract or derail us. My intent is to help us clarify and help me understand the essence. And I hope it's going to be valuable to everyone else. Mm-hmm. You know, if, you're, you're sort of asking for permission to play the role of a rookie. And I think when you ask permission, um, permission is almost always granted. People say, yeah, thank you. Like, yeah. and, and, and I think you'll find, you know, particularly this idea of asking the naive questions, that people say, you know what, I've wondered that. For months, I've been wondering that. Thank you for asking. It gives people permission to sort of drop the jargon, this sort of feigned intellectualism, as you said, um, and just think together.
0: Yeah, I like that. Well, that's about being a backpacker, uh, which is all about being unencumbered. The other, second mode is a hunter-gatherer, which is alert and seeking. Tell us about that, Liz.
1: Well, you know, when I looked at how we operate in this rookie mode, I, you know, I found that people aren't – I mean, we often think of rookies as these kind of naive – and they are naive, you know, like naive, bumbling, clueless, you know, clod, so to speak. Yeah, and
0: bumbling was the word that was <laughs> popping into my head.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we, we think of it as bumbling. It's like the person who can't figure out how to get through the security line at the airport. They're just like, you know, slowing it all down for <laughs> everything. <laughs> like, what? My laptop has to come out of the bag? What? I can't bring the water? <laughs> you, know? <Yeah.
2: laughs>
1: you know, we're thinking, rookie move. But we found that actually... In rookie mode people are incredibly alert. Alert because you know they're aware that they don't know what they're doing. And so they turn outward and they're paying attention to every clue. We operate in this mode very much the way we operate. You know, remember the very first time you went into a foreign country. And what did you see? What did you hear? You know, what did you smell? It's like we operate with this heightened sense of alertness and sort of sensory intake. And we pay attention. And it puts them in this outward seeking mode because, you know, we often think that newcomers, you know, their value is that they um, they bring fresh ideas. You know, I have found that this is just not the case. You know, they actually don't bring fresh ideas. They bring no ideas. <laughs> and And because they have no ideas, but yet they've got this... Big task. They have to go out and hunt for expertise from others. They they go out and they ask questions. Um, they ask far more questions than people with experience. Do they're more open to they listen better. They ask for help. They seek guidance. And when we find that they go out and they ask people for insight, they ask on average five times more people than experts do. There's like a 5x network effect. Um, the ne- it's the network effect of not knowing, meaning if you ask, you know, we'll kind of go back to my sort of run the university days. You know, if you asked me today to come, and we'll, we'll take it two years ago, maybe prior to this research, you know, if you, you hired me to come in and build a, a training function for your company, to be a CLO or to build a university, you would get one person's expertise. You'd get an expert. Cause I, I've done that for a lot of years and, and I, you know, at one point I I kind of knew how to do that. You know, many years ago when I was first new to that job, I had no clue, but I went out and asked a lot of people, how do you do this? I kind of went on this like mission around the country trying to look at people who did this well and what were they doing. You know, you ask someone who doesn't know what they're doing, and you get on average five times the level of expertise. Particularly when you give someone you know, kind of back to what is the leader's role in this, you know, when the leader gives someone permission to be a rookie, like there's nothing more powerful than saying, you know what, hey, Joe, we have this new assignment for you. You know what, this is outside your area of expertise. We want you to use all of your experience from other domains. This domain is new. You know, you're a rookie in this domain. So go out and just like use your rookie smarts, ask people, consult, ask the naive questions. When leaders give people permission, particularly experienced people, permission to be rookies again, it sort of just naturally ignites this rookie smart, And we find that people perform at their best, they learn at their highest levels, and they're their most satisfied. That's a pretty good deal.
0: Yeah. In the book, this is an area where you actually provide six different suggested tips where we can foster this mindset in ourselves. Can you share one of those with us?
1: I think one of my favorite things, and this I think is applicable across so many of this different I mean, I call it the teleport yourself experiment. And, and maybe I can ask people just right now to, to teleport yourself. And what I mean, I mean, teleport from the Star Trek enterprise teleport, you know, to go back in place and time to when you were new to something important and hard, you know, and you may be going back to when you were 22 years old, uh, you know, but it may be two months ago when you were just given a big challenge and to remember what it was like to be a rookie. You know, what did you do? Who did you go talk to? What questions did you ask? How many people did you consult before you started working? You know, who did you pay attention to? Who did you go to for feedback? How did you stay on track? And, and How did you recover from the mistakes that are inevitable when we're doing something hard for the very first time? And to maybe not only go back and remember what it was like, you know, but jot some of that down and then pull it forward. You know, in essence, um, I guess maybe using that teleport yourself image, it's kind of like take those things back with you into the present and go do some of those things. Go multiply your expertise. Um, I did this one recently where I was starting to put together some um, sort of learning solutions around rookie smarts. You know, how would we teach this to leaders and to companies? And I was just about to go in and jump in and start this design process. It's something I have a lot of experience doing. And I stopped myself and said, Liz, how would you do this if you're a rookie? And I went out and talked to, um, I kind of stalked Jesse, I sort of stalked a few people. Um, and I went, I contacted people who I, I could see out in social media were doing really interesting things with learning, people I'd never met before. One of them was Justin Mass. He works at Adobe. And I could just tell um, he's kind of like a digital learning specialist that he was doing some crazy, interesting stuff. So I contacted him, said, Justin, I'm going to be in New York in a couple weeks. I'd love to just meet with you and, and learn what you're doing. And I did that across a number of people. And I find it it was fascinating. Mm. Fascinating. But it was about stopping myself right at the point where I was about to jump in to do something I thought I knew how to do and say, go talk to five experts. Mm-hmm really changed my orientation. We're going to do very different things as a result of this. But I had to stop my own expertise from getting in the way.
0: You know, when you just invited us to do that teleport experiment, I was thinking in my own head about two different experiences. One, when it was my very first time being on a board of of directors for a nonprofit ministry. And then a more recent experience on a a different uh, board, for a, a nonprofit and the first that when I was a rookie, uh, one of my assignments was helping with fundraising, and the very first thing I did was I went right out and contacted some executive directors of different nonprofits and got advice from them and asked them how how they're currently fundraising and what what's actually effective, and does this kind of thing actually work or do do they just do it because they've always done it and then more recently I was on and it, it and it worked out great and then more recently. I was on a committee that was revamping, actually creating some policies from scratch. And I had the question, shouldn't we go get some existing policies from other nonprofits and kind of learn what they're doing? But in, this time, instead of just running out there and going right to the top, as you know, a bumbling rookie might do, I was more savvy and followed the chains of command and talked in. First, inter- to other to, to our uh, other board members, and uh, they said, "Oh no, no, no! Let's not bother them." We kind of know we know this, and so the the it just you, this, this experiment that you just said about t- teleporting yourself re- reminded me. You know, yeah, as a rookie, I would take that advantage and just blunder right to the top of some organizations and get really good insight, as opposed right. to sometimes honoring the political channels is is the wrong thing to do.
1: You know, it's interesting. And we found that when we're experienced, we, you know, experienced people tend to have more political savvy, which can work for them or against them. Mm -hmm. And what we find is that rookies don't have that politically savvy, but they're more politically um, attuned, Hmm. meaning they're paying attention, trying to figure out who are the players because, you know, you kind of go into a situation and you don't know who's who and you're trying to figure out, okay, who are, like, take me to your leader. Like, it's sort of alien <laughs> talk. And often we do go in and just say, like, who's in charge around here and can I talk to them? Because I don't really know what I'm doing, so, you know, please take me to your leader. And and often they work very high in organizations to great effect. Now, sometimes they can be disastrous. And so I'm not suggesting uh, <laughs> that you leave rookies completely unsupervised But, you know, I I heard from a lot of CEOs who said, you know, one of the things I don't tell my new sales people, my new business development people, I don't tell them how to size a deal and I don't tell them the average size of a deal. Mm. And I don't tell them where to start in the organization because what I find is when I bring in rookies in the organization, you know, be they young or old, they often size the deals much bigger and they go straight to the top of an organization, (laughs) Which is where most people, you know, you probably go to, if you go to 10 sales training classes, nine of the 10 of them are probably going to say, hey, you're going to do better if you start at the top of an organization. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just like you, Jesse, in our rookie state, we're not yet afraid. We don't need to, we don't know to be afraid of the scary people at the top of the organization. You know, we haven't built political scar tissue, if you will. Yeah. And so you just go there to great effect for everyone. And, you know, it's also great because there's nothing that the people at the top of the organization need more is access to people who are fresh and new to something. It's actually very renewing for them as well.
0: Liz, the third mode is that a rookie tends to be a firewalker, which is cautious and quick. Tell us about that.
1: You know, I found this interesting puzzle, if not this sort of data conundrum, um, when I was looking at all the data from my research is that I found that rookies tend to be, you know, very cautious. They're not these, you know, we often think of rookies as these like big risk takers. Ah, um, uh, rookies, rookies are like, they're bold. They're risk takers. Actually, no. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about like when you, uh, again, when you went into a foreign country for the first time, you know, if you were aware, you know, and sober, <laughs>
2: you know, <laughs>
1: you, um, you know you're, you're cautious. You're trying to figure out the lay of the land we find they're not big risk takers, they're risk mitigators. And one of the ways that they mitigate risk is they move cautiously but fast, um, meaning fast because they're experimenting, they're trying to figure out what works. It's like, hey, does this work? How about this? What about that? They work in thin slices and, and they do this so they, they can get fast feedback. And and I the way that they work, this cautious but fast way of working is... You know, to me, it was um, so symbolized or emblemized in um, coal walking, where you know the reason why people can walk on hot coals is not because it's some you know mind over matter, super you know, natural kind of phenomenon. It's just that coals are not great heat conductors. So as long as you move fast over them, now I'm not suggesting. Like a caveat, you know, do <laughs> not try this at home. <laughs> right. Okay, and okay. Caveat number two: I have never tried this. Um, <laughs> I know people try. I've read about this and like kind of studied the practice of this. And it's like they move fast; they move really fast, so as to not get burned. But they're also cautious. You know, all conditions that need to be right. It's actually this kind of lean agile way of working i think actually today jesse is the beginning of the lean um conference Mm -hmm. eric reese's conference and this way that rookies tend to work is so congruent with the lean agile methodologies that so many not just startups so many big companies are trying to implement and while you probably need sort of processes and techniques to do that you know you might just put people who are newcomers on the job and you'll find that they naturally work in these lean, thin slices, getting sort of the bare minimum done, testing out the readiness, the fitness of the product with customers, and then cycling again. They're cautious, but they're quick.
0: Yeah. And in, in this chapter of the book, you provide two different suggested experiments or ways that we can foster the firewalker mindset. And, and one of them is about risking and, and iterating. So it's I guess you're you're setting up a little area that is relatively low risk that you can try something out and then um, tweak it and make improvements on it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of making improvements, I just decided um, last week that I was going to change the name of this. Um, I call it the Risk and Iterate Experiment. Um, I think I would call it create a playground. Hmm. And what you can do as a leader, if you want to give people an opportunity to kind of jump into this rookie smart way of working, is to create a playground. And in the playground is where we can make mistakes, where our work is sort of, we can be playful with our work. We can experiment and try things. And And if you want to try this out, here's how you do it. I've seen this have profound impact on leadership teams. And, and what you do is and maybe I'll go through some of the specific techniques so this would be really helpful to people who are, are listening to this. Is, you know, ask the group to identify on a set of post it notes the areas of your work that you can make mistakes, where it's okay to experiment and to fail at something, where you can recover from failure. And then, you know, on another set of post it notes, places in the business or on the team or the function, the work where you can't, where you kind of have to throw your body over it and go, you know what, this is an area we can't fail. And then get all of those up on a wall and then kind of negotiate all of that so that the team gets clear. And when I say negotiate, meaning okay, move them between categories till you can look at that and say, you know what? Here are the places where we can experiment. And that becomes your playground. You know, I did this with a retail clothing organization, big global organization. And they did this, they stepped back from this chart and they looked at where they could not fail. And it became so clear to the whole management team. They said, December, we cannot screw up December. But You know, and and it was fun to see the president of the organization look at this. And he said, like, it was like, thou shalt not screw up December. (laughs) Because this is, of course, the holiday season. Mm -hmm. And this is like, you know, post-Black Friday, where they make all their profit for their year. But he says, 11 months out of the year, you can experiment, try new promotions, introduce kind of, you know, edgier lines of clothing. You know, January through November, you can experiment, but you cannot screw up December, and it was liberating for this whole management team to go back and say, okay, guys, we're clear. These are the months where we can try things out and experiment, but we don't do any of that in December. And they probably don't do that into November now because that seems to sort of be bleeding backward into the calendar yet. <laughs> so, you know, you can do this as a manager and you don't have to go through that whole exercise to do it, although it's really valuable for a team. What you can do is say, you know what? In this part of the business, this is our playground. This is where you can make mistakes, you know, risk, take risk and iterate and make things better in a lean agile way.
0: I think I've had some projects, especially with with, uh, programming folks where they, you're calling it a playground, I think, and some of them will call it a sandbox. Maybe you've heard that same kind of term, but where part, part of the, let's just say a website, for example, and there's a section that is not on the, production side so your customers aren't going to see it and you're allowed to as you would be playing in a sandbox build all the sandcastles you want if you don't like it wipe it out start over and then you can even open up parts of it too so that some customers can try it out and and get the data on how that's working but it's always it's just a sandbox it's you can at any point in time you can wipe it out and start over and call no harm no foul and it it is a really exciting thing to try
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, build a sandbox and give people permission to wipe stuff out or to move fast or to experiment and to innovate in that space, to be rookies.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's very cool. Well, the fourth and final mindset of a rookie that you discovered is being a pioneer, uh, about being, which is about being hungry and relentless.
1: It is. You know, We found that when we're new to something, we're essentially, we're out on a frontier. And You know, given our druthers, we we might go back to where it's comfortable. You know, I think, you know, I I learned so many things from this research, Jesse. You know, one thing I learned is that we tend to do our best work when we don't quite fully know what we're doing. It does prompt our best thinking and our best work. But I also learned sort of the cousin to that is we don't like being in this space. We don't Mm -hmm. like being uncomfortable. And given a chance to retreat, a lot of times we would. It's like me and my feeble attempts to speak Spanish. You know, I go out and I sort of, you know, I open myself up. I sort of launch a conversation in Spanish. And if they can, if they speak back to me in English, which they often do, as my teenage daughter pointed out, they're like, she's a mom. Did you notice that when you try to speak Spanish, people speak back to you in English? I'm like, yeah, I've noticed that. She said, well, well, I think I know why. I'm like, oh, do tell. Like, do like me. And she said, well, because you're not very good. I'm like, okay, yeah, I think I knew that too. And, and so, like, given the English lifeline, I'm going to take it. And, and you know, I continue the conversation in English. We don't like being in this space. And you're like, but whoa, Liz, how does that make sense? You just said it's where we're at our happiest. See, because we don't like being in this space we forge ahead much like pioneers it's like we don't like being kind of out in the wilderness without resources and not quite you know having our needs met so we build we focus on the basics we you know we kind of walk through the valley of death to get to get out of it and it's why we tend to do our best work because we're almost forced Up this learning curve, and that's where the satisfaction comes in. It's not in the cold, hungry, kind of naked part where we feel like we don't what we're doing. The satisfaction comes in the mastery process. Um, So we operate very much like pioneers. We improvise. We're scrappy. We we get resourceful because we don't have all of the intellectual resources we need to do our jobs. And you know, if you're, and, and it's why I called it sort of the pioneer mode because we operate very much like frontiersmen versus with experience, we're operating more like um, settlers, where we, we're reusing what exists. We're sort of defaulting to what we have, as opposed to building something new. You know, and most of us love the process of building and creating, rather than just reusing.
0: Yeah, it, it immediately conjures up the idea of the classic startup, and how in the early years, they're all very hungry, and in fact, pretty much desperate. And so they're just Improvising and uh, working crazy hours and fueling on uh, adrenaline and ambition, and then fast forward ten years, and they've gotten kind of fat and happy and they are easily overcome.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think um, Jesse, what you point out there is that this rookie dynamic, you know it can be applicable across entire corporations, that you know a company can be operating with sort of rookie smarts but can lose it. And and how does a whole company do that?
0: Liz, how can we develop this pioneer mindset?
1: Well, I think there's a number of ways to do it. You know, we can staple ourselves to hard problems, problems that pull ourselves out of the confines of our current job description or our level in the organization or the comfort of our knowledge and let that new problem drag you into a new space. Or you might take the experiment and you could probably guess, this is my personal favorite. And that's, you know, I call it just disqualify yourself. You know, move into your discomfort zone by taking a job that you aren't fully qualified for. You know, if you want to stay relevant, if you want your career to be exciting, if you want your work to stay exciting, you know, spend as little time as possible in jobs that you're actually qualified for. You know, be willing to step out of the comfort zone. Take a job that maybe is a level up a job that has a steep learning curve. And, and I know this is scary for a lot of people, but what I've learned from this research, Jesse, is that when we are doing something important and hard and we're doing it for the very first time, we tend to do our best work. It brings out the very best in our thinking. It puts us into this humble, hungry learning mode that allows us to scramble quickly up a learning curve. Um, you know, So many people are stuck climbing up career ladders when they would be much happier climbing up a learning curve. It's, it's not only where we do our best work, it's where we find our greatest satisfaction. And perhaps you know, the most valuable thing a leader can do is to recognize when people have become comfortable People have mastery when actually when things are going really well is a sign that people not only need a pat on the back, but that the very best leaders give them a push, you know, a push out into this rookie space, this liminal space that will keep them and the entire team vibrant and relevant as the game of work changes very quickly around us.
0: I like that. So both as an individual, see yourself climbing the learning curve rather than a career ladder. But then as a leader of an organization, continuing to encourage people to climb the learning curve and keeping the emphasis there as opposed to a career ladder is going to help the whole organization stay more relevant and avoid becoming obsolete.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, Liz, how can people find out more about you and about your work? The
1: book is Rookie Smarts, Why Learning Beats Knowing in the New Game of Work. You can find information about the research, the book, some of the people. You actually you can even go onto the website, which is www.rookiesmarts.com, and you can um, tell your rookie story. You can tell about a time when you were new to something important and hard, maybe when you did something brilliant or even perhaps when it was a bit of a belly flop. And you can tell your story there. There's also a quiz out there where it'll help you assess, are you in the learning zone or are you perhaps burnt out or maybe even revving too fast, sort of beyond the learning zone? Or you can go to our practices website, thewisemangroup.com, and there's more information about me and my colleagues there.
0: Fantastic. The book, again, is Rookie Smarts, Why Learning Beats Knowing in the New Game of Work. Liz Wiseman, thanks so much for joining us on Engaging Leader.
1: Jesse, thank you for having me. I hope that uh, leaders um, who hear this uh, have found ways to engage the people on their team and keep them uh, performing at their best.
0: Absolutely. All right, Engagers. I think you're going to want to get a hold of Liz Wiseman's book. I'm sure it's going to be another bestseller. In addition to the information that we discussed today, this book provides additional tips for cultivating each of the four rookie mindsets, backpacker, hunter-gatherer, firewalker, and pioneer. And it talks about how leaders can apply the principles of rookie smarts to ensure that their workforce remains vital and competitive. Now, we'll provide the information and links that Liz mentioned, including the self-assessment Are You in the Learning Zone quiz on our show notes for this episode, which you can find on our website at engagingleader.com forward slash 104 as in episode 104. And while you're on the show notes page, you can engage with us by providing your thoughts or questions in the comments section or by clicking the red send voicemail button. You can also engage with us at facebook.com forward slash engaging leader or on Twitter where I am at Jesse Leahy. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with midsize and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at aspendalecommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marlar, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Terrence, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of each opportunity to engage the people we care about.